Amen. Thank you, Sarah. I'm from a country that has 11 official languages. And one of the things that I miss the most about our gathered worship in Southern Africa is the variety of languages that we would hear when we would give our praise and adoration and prayers and worship to God. And so when I hear the scriptures read in tongues outside of the ones I ordinarily use, it gives me great joy. It helps me to practice for heaven. And it makes me think a little bit of what God hears. Because if you think about the prayers that are being said to him around the world, even now, think of the many um, tongues and dialects and languages that God hears those praises and those prayers in what a delightful thing to consider. Please open your Bible with me and turn to Matthew chapter 13. Over the past few months, and especially over the last couple of weeks, I have found myself on more than one occasion searching for answers and finding that I have few to none that really suffice. I don't have sufficient knowledge within myself, and I know that, And wherever I turn in the created world um, of information, I find more confusion and often more hopelessness than I entered in with. But I love the Bible because when I turn to the Scriptures, I find in them a sure and steady anchor for my soul. We are ruled by God's Word as a people. It gives us all that we need for life and godliness. And so let us go to the word today and see what it has for us because I think it is rich. In the text today, Jesus is gonna present a very simple question for us. And I want you to have that question in your mind as preparation as we approach the text. The, The question is this, how receptive is your heart to the message of Jesus? How Open are you to the invitation to live a life of following him in his wonderfully upside down kingdom? How soft is your heart towards your king right now? Is your heart receptive to him and his invitation of a different kind of life? We are back in our prolonged study of the gospel of Matthew, and we're at a key turning point in the gospel's structure. We're at the point in the narrative where Jesus begins to use a teaching device known as a parable. Now, if you've grown up in church and you've gone to Sunday school as a kid, you're familiar with the concept of what a parable is, and there is a temptation to see them as nothing more than sort of a cutesy sermon illustration of the day, right? Wise fables or moralistic myths, if you like. They seem sweet. I was always taught um, that they are earthly stories with heavenly meanings, which makes them sound kind of cute and cuddly and tame and, 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 and all rather fun in a Sunday school sort of way. Well, parables are phenomenal because they're kind of stories of rebellion in a way. They are very earthly stories. And Jesus uses the device as a deliberate subversive tool against the teaching of his day. They are not like a myth. They are like an anti-myth, in fact. Myth gets you beyond the everyday into something transcendent. Parable grabs hold of something transcendent and pulls it down towards you into the everyday in a totally subversive fashion. 
Now we'll get into how they are set up next week because Jesus himself explains their purpose in the verses that follow the verses we'll study today. But I wanted to simply invite us into something that Jesus is doing before we dive into the text. In this very familiar parable of the sower, Jesus is actively actually doing a couple of things as he teaches us. Firstly, he was setting expectations for his disciples setting expectations about the advance of the kingdom and how it won't be like they expected it to be. You see, the disciples thought that, that, that when the Messiah came, he would come as a Davidic king. And so their frame of reference was one of power. He would come and free them from their oppressors and through military might and through dominion over the surrounding nations, he would liberate Israel and come and bring peace through power. Well, Jesus uses imagery and parables to show them, guys, the kingdom is going to be a bit disappointing if that's what you're looking for. It's going to be way more grassroots and dusty streets than you think. And guess what? Not everyone will receive it and we won't exert it upon them when they reject it. B.B. Scott, the the scholar through whom I got this idea of an anti-myth, says that Jesus uses parables to reorder the, the idea of greatness and power and strength and success in a kingdom that is nothing like the kingdoms of this world. And so friends, these stories aren't cute. They are antagonistic to our preciously held views of power and its attachment in the ancient world and in our world to presumed right standing with God. Secondly, Jesus in his wisdom and humility uses parables to invite some people closer to him and his message and to push some other people further away from him and his message. You see, the religious elite were starting to oppose Jesus in a serious way. And if you just read Matthew right through, you'll see that the parables is what really sets them off. It makes them furious. He was no longer welcome in the synagogues of his region. And so he had taken his teaching back to the streets. The church had left the building, so to speak. And there on the streets, he taught in a way that was so rooted in the everyday imagery of the lives of ordinary people that it actually ended up being repulsive to the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. When Jesus goes, hey guys, the kingdom is like, the things that he talks about next are seeds and fields and wheat and weeds and bread and fishing. It's all pretty East Texas, I believe, um, if you like. This invites the humble to come nearer and to understand and to experience in frames of reference that they encounter every day. He's saying, this is what the blessed life of the kingdom is like. Lean in, come close if you can. These concepts that seemed transcendent and for the mega elite and out of the reach of the everyday person for so long, Jesus says, no, come listen, I'll explain it to you in ways that you encounter every day. But, but at the same time, it pushes the proud, the hard-hearted, those who presume to have all of the answers away from its message. They are repelled and repulsed by their radical simplicity in their telling. And so friends, before we read these, we must ask, how receptive is your heart to the message of Jesus and the life he calls us to? Is your heart soft and open and humble and willing to be drawn in with these images or is it hardened and self-righteous 
and established in its own ways. These then will push you further away than you already are. Are we prepared to get into the dirt of the fields with our king and to listen as he uses the most basic of elements of his day to call us to a life where he rules and reigns? All right, Matthew 13, that's what he's doing. So here's what he said. Let's read from verse one. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. That sounds nice, right? And so he's just had a very stressful ministry day. His family, just so you know, is not delighted with him at the moment because they try to get his attention. And he said, well, who's my family? And they were like, we are. And he was like, no, all these people are. And they were like, no, we are. And he was like, no, it's all of them, right? And so some tension hangs in the air. He's surrounded by people. His own biological family can't get access to him. And so he goes and sits by the sea. And such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down while the whole crowd stood on the shore. Look how compassionate he is. He's still gonna teach them. He can't even get a moment away. And still he sets himself up a little stage platform on a boat so that he can tell them stories of the kingdom. Then he told them many things in parables saying, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil. So it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns came up and choked it. Still, other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit, some 100, some 60, and some 30 times what was sown. Then he says, let anyone who has ears listen. Thus ended the sermon, right? <laughs> Jesus is finished. He's, you got ears? Good. Listen, let's bring the band back up and let's close in prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were in a church and a guest preacher came in to preach and that is all he said, I would be like, what kind of weird performance art crazy sermon is that? What is going on? This is what happens when the worship leader writes the sermon. I mean, what is going on in this space? And I am not alone, right? Because we're told in verse 10, and we'll cover this conversation next week, that the disciples were like, Jesus, um, uh, little thing, we don't really have any idea what is happening right now. Your, your teaching career started super well. I mean, you preached so well, Jesus. Why are you using this method now? We were onto something good. Remember that sermon? Where was that one? On the mount, that one. That was fire, right? Well, that was so good. Why are we doing these weird ones now? And so, because Jesus loves them, and wants them to understand, he explains the parable to them, starting in verse 18. He goes, all right, dim-witted little ones, let me tell you. Gather around, Pada ones, and listen to me, right? And so he says, so listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom, what's the parable about? about? The message of the kingdom, the word about the kingdom, and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. And the one sown on rocky ground, this is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root and is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. 
Now the one sown among the thorns, this is one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth, underline that, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But the one who's, uh, but the one sown on the good ground, this is one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yields, some a hundred, some 60, some 30 times what was sown. And so Jesus explains it to them. He says, this is about the message of the kingdom and people's willingness and ability to understand and receive it. Now, I always thought growing up, because this is the way I heard this preached, that this parable was purely about salvation, right? And that this was about your saving moment. But Jesus tells us it's about the word or the message of the kingdom. That means it certainly incorporates salvation because to be a citizen of the kingdom, you have to come to that saving faith by God's grace. But it's about more than that, right? Our initial entrance into the kingdom comes through our joint acknowledgement that Jesus is king. But this is about, listen, our ability to rightly receive the life of the kingdom and the way that King Jesus calls us to live within its bounds. This is about our ability to receive the manifesto of the kingdom, which is outlined in the Sermon on the Mount. And there are many of us who are believers, but who are not living that way, who are not living the way of Jesus, not even close. We've had a moment of salvation, but we don't live the manifesto of the kingdom. This is what Jesus is speaking about. And so friends, as Jesus describes four kinds of soil, don't just focus your attention out there wondering what sort of soil your neighbor has. Stop and ask what sort of soil your heart currently is in terms of its receptiveness to the news of the kingdom and the life that the king invites us into. I've been asking myself this week, if so much of what we proud ourselves on as a nation is supposed to be built on Christian values, then why do we look so little like Christ in our response? Could it be that part of the problem is that in churches we have focused primarily on seed scattering and not on the hard, lifelong work of soil tilling, that is discipleship, that allows seed to grow into something that resembles the harvest of the Christian life. That is part of why, friends, listen, it's painful. It's part of why we can have so many believers at the moment who are more committed to worldly ideologies and their defense than they are to fellow image bearers and their need for loving allegiance. I had someone reach out to me this week who doesn't believe the gospel or any of the claims of Jesus. He is very clear about that. And they asked me something that stopped me in my tracks. They asked, will this be the time that cultural Christians will begin to act like the Christ they claim to believe in? Will this be the time? Christians ought to be the most responsive to the cries of mourners and the pleas of those who weep. Christians ought to be the least defensive when sin is exposed as we of all people. No, we know, we've got this. We know of all people that sin is endemic and systemic and corrosive and destructive. We shouldn't be defensive about that. We should be surprised it's taken the rest of the world so long to wake up to that reality. Christians ought to be the most comfortable and yet the most compassionate critics 
of the fallen kingdoms of this world because we know we live for another kingdom and we don't actually expect the kingdoms of this world to satisfy except we do because we haven't done the hard work of tilling the soil. Will this be the time that cultural Christians will begin to act like the Christ that they claim to believe in? I'm asking myself that. I wanna let the Holy Spirit ask you that. What is the condition of your heart? Are you open to the invitation of the kingdom and the life that it calls you to? Or are you stuck in some hard, sun-baked ruts, claiming to have received the good seed of the gospel, but not producing much fruit? Okay, there's four soils. Now listen, <laughs> in case it isn't clear from my appearance, I am not a farmer at all. The closest I get to farming is that sometimes I like to read Wendell Berry poetry and I occasionally shop at Whole Foods, you know, like um, only when they have specials, I am a pastor, um, and when I'm feeling fancy, right? And, and when I walk that organic section, that feels kind of like farming, right? I let my hands kind of go down all of the different herbs and pretend like, oh, we say herbs with an H, by the way, herbs, um, and, and pretend like I know what they all do in different dishes. And, and I've got that kind of farmer music playing in my head. I'm not sure what that is, but it's there. Um, and so I'm not a farmer, right? but I do like working with soil because growing up, my dad worked as a landscaper and a grounds manager at some sporting facilities in South Africa, including on a golf course, which is uh, where I was born, actually. You would think I would be good at golf, but my dad wasn't playing, he was cutting the grass. And so I am quite passionate about gardening and horticulture. Um, I always had a very nicely manicured garden, what you would call a yard here, right? We call those gardens um, in South Africa. And my wife Sue and I, we loved tending to the garden. I know how ridiculous that sounds for a young man because it feels like I've given up on life, right? Uh, but, but, I, but I enjoyed it and it was easy there because it never got hotter than 85 degrees and the soil was like the silt of the rivers of Babylon. So you just looked at it and stuff grew. It was easy, right? Then we moved to Texas. And the previous owner of our house was not at all into yard work. He was into some kind of long-term experiment of what happens if you just leave a property be, right? Um, and that was his kind of approach. But neighbor love in the suburbs requires a couple of things, and I've learned that in the suburbs. Neighbor love in the, in the suburbs requires a good lawn, and the masquerade of a happy family. And so uh, we, we set off trying to work on the good lawn part, right? We'll get to the, the, the masquerade later on. Um, and here's what we discovered. It's impossible. We, we, we tried everything. Eventually, my dad came to visit, and I was like, Dad, everything I plant in this God-forsaken place dies, right? We obviously need to research what different sorts of plants we need to use. And he stood there. My dad is he's like super Yoda smart when it comes to plants. Um, and he thought for a while and he looked out at our yard of desperate desolation, um, like the lunar landscape that it is. And he just said, my boy, at some point, you're gonna need to do something about the soil. And then he did what my dad always does. He gives a mic drop of a life application. And then he went and turned on the kettle and made some tea. At some point, you're gonna need to do something about the soil. This is the point of Jesus' parable. If you wanna live a life of increasing kingdom wisdom, understanding and obedience, at some point, you're gonna need to do something about the soil of your heart. Jesus says that there's essentially four types. And I want you to ask the Spirit to show where yours is at today. Let's go through them. Let's look at them quickly. Verse 19. And anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, 
The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the soil, this is the one that is sown along the path. So the first soil is so hard packed and baked that the message of the kingdom can't even be received. And Satan picks it away before it has any chance. This is a, a, a hardened heart that can listen to sermon after sermon and never change. They can hear the truth explained again and again and never experience fruit. Why? Satan loves hard hearts. He loves minds that are calloused by the kingdoms of this world. <laughs> minds that can't even begin to understand and hearts that can't even begin to get alongside the truth that Jesus tells us that the poor in spirit and those who mourn and the humble and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and the merciful and the pure in heart and the peacemakers and those who will be persecuted are the truly blessed ones in the world, that it is better to cut off your hand than allow it to lead you to sin, that it is, if you get struck on one cheek, you should turn the other also, and that your enemies should be loved by you, that it is better to store up possessions in heaven than here on earth, and that it is impossible, impossible, impossible to serve both God and money, that we are going to find it impossible to rightly judge other people while we are blinded by planks of hypocrisy in our own lives and that the life of the kingdom is narrow and long but marvelous and the only true way to live the blessed life. This is the seed that is scattered but some hearts are not open to receiving it. Now stop, these statements are not the rantings of a radical. Those are some of the defining marks of the kingdom life according to the king. <laughs> this is the life he called us into in the first place. Is your heart open? to it? Can the seed even find its way to some soil where it can get purchased? Friends, if we continue, if we continue to be discipled by the systems and schemes of our present age, rather than allowing ourselves to be formed by the word and the life that it calls us to, we happily happily, gladly, and continually compact the soil of our hearts so that the good seed cannot get in. We get caked solid through the constant compression of echo chamber content consumption, and we're happy with it. And Satan loves it. And he gladly picks off the good seed before it can take root. Friends, Satan doesn't even need to make us evidently evil. <laughs> he just needs to keep us hard-hearted and unwilling to have our lives tilled, exposing what lies beneath to the light and air of the good news of the gospel. Friends, is your heart hard? Let the spirit turn the soil. Are you angry all the time? Like all the time. And when you hear these calls of the kingdom, are you like, he can't live like that? Then your heart is hard. Ask the Spirit to change you. Verse 20, the one sown on rocky ground, this is one who hears the word immediately, receives it with joy, right? But he has no root and it's short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. The second soil is soft and receptive to start with, but shallow. And that shallowness is revealed in times of distress or persecution, brought on by the demands and the rigor of following Jesus. See friends, 
Some people love the message of the kingdom. (laughs) Until it calls us to suffer for its cause. You see, one of the things that we don't prep people well for in our discipleship and in the way we call people to salvation even, is that following Jesus rightly will bring about opposition and will invite persecution. Can I say it again for the people in the back? Following Jesus rightly will bring about opposition and will invite persecution. Many of us don't actually have a category for that. And so when it happens, we think something is wrong (laughs) and we shrink back. Friends, let me tell you, the ethic of the kingdom will place you at odds with the ethic of the world and they will let you know. The ethic of the kingdom will be way too conservative for progressives and way too progressive for conservatives. And listen, not because it is centrist, the goal isn't the middle, but because it is a totally different kingdom operating on totally different principles, which means that its adherents will and should feel like freaks and aliens, the homeless in the world. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Be prepared to be rejected by most. When the Spirit did some hard work on me in my early 20s, Jesus saved me when I was seven, right? The, the seed took some root and it grew. But over time, my heart, my, my, my heart grew hard and then he awakened me through really overwhelming me with the Holy Spirit in my early 20s. And he showed me the hypocrisy and the deceit of my purely cultural Christianity, and he called me to follow Jesus more closely. Almost immediately, I realized as I started to read this thing afresh, (laughs) that this following of Jesus would put me at odds with many things around me. Following Jesus rightly meant following his definition of neighbor love, and the world doesn't have a category for that. Following Jesus rightly meant following his sexual ethic. Following Jesus rightly meant embracing his views of strength and weakness and greatness in the posture of a servant. You know how people treat servants? Like servants, right? That's why so few of us do it. Some of you got really shallow soil. You like the big moments where the seed feels like it's got some life. But as soon as we've got to actually experience some of the pushback from the world and the principalities and powers that we've been told live in the world, we're like, nah, 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 nah. And then we believe the lie that says, okay, true life then would be in moderate cultural Christianity, a set of beliefs that don't change the way I live. No, Jesus says that that is that seed then dying and not growing to fruition. Do the hard work. Let the spirit dig some rocks out of the soil today. It's making you shallow and get some depth in there. Verse 22. Now the one sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this age (laughs) and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The third soil, friend, is good, but it isn't weeded. And so the strangling effect of the thorn-filled weeds kill it slowly. And before we try to describe the weeds, let's just let Jesus do it. If we go, I wonder what the weeds are, Jesus tells us. He says, it's the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth. (laughs) Oh boy. It seems to me that we get lots of warnings in church about shameful sins that we conduct in secret and that's good and right. We don't get anywhere near enough warnings. (laughs) 
against the compromised lives that we live in full view of everybody. (laughs) You will get rightly rebuked in church for acts of sexual sin, but no one is lining up anyone for rebuke for allowing their love of God to get choked by the elusive pursuit of the American dream. This might sound like Jesus doesn't want you to have a good life. Friends, nothing could be further from the truth. It's the opposite. He's saying that so many of the Instagram-worthy flowers of what the world promises as the good life are deadly weeds that will prevent you from being attentive to God and his work in a way that will crush your spiritual vitality. And deep down, you know it. You know it. We have become content with the constant demand of exhausted, busy, stretched lives that believe the lie that says that we can be everywhere, that we can have everything, that we can know all there is to know, that we can never miss out on an experience and still somehow be uh, present (laughs) at the feet of Jesus. It's a lie. And yes, some of us believe we can be president. I can't. I was born in another country, um, which I think turns out to be a grace, right? This is a lie. It's a weed. We have allowed it to grow. Our lives are so thinly stretched because we're trying to we're trying to drink it all in. If ever there was a season to pull out some of those weeds, it's now, isn't it? So many of our calendars look so different from what they ever looked before. <laughs> Let's embrace the moment and change some of it up so that we can live lives that are more attentive to God, that we can weed the gardens of us of our hearts that the thorns and thistles of our endless, relentless pursuit of wealth can finally be ripped out and good fruit could grow. What is the condition of the soil of your heart? How receptive are you to the message of Jesus? Here's the goal, verse 23, and with this I close. The one sown on the good ground, that is the one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yield, some 100, some 60, some 30 times what was sown. That kind of soil takes some attentiveness. That kind of soil takes some ongoing work. We have to allow it to be softened, to be turned over through repentance and through the refreshing of the spirit and through the admonition and the encouragement of God's word. We've got to allow that soil to get turned and turned again. We have to dig out the rocks and throw them aside. We have to do the hard work of weeding out our distractions. It's a constant life. It's a life of an attentive gardener, the life of following Jesus Christ. But here is the great news, friends. Here's the great news of this parable. The sower continues to sow, and he sows good seed. He keeps doing it. He keeps calling us. He keeps inviting us, and through the Holy Spirit, gives us the power to receive that good message and be transformed and be fruitful. Friends, it's not too late. The condition of your heart can be changed. Start today. Get before the Spirit. Ask Him, Lord, which of these four soils is my heart like in your eyes? Where am I shallow? Where are the weeds? Where am I just hard-hearted? Where can I let you... Turn that soil and water it and weed it and watch something beautiful grow out of what before looked desolate and hopeless.
Oh, we serve, we serve the faithful sower who longs for us to yield a great harvest. He'll continue to do his work. Let's continue to do ours. Friends, soften your heart. Follow your king. Father God, thank you so much for your word. I pray that like seed, it falls on good soil today. Lord, I pray that where there is hard-heartedness, that you would bring that to light and you would help us to turn from that and turn to you and experience a softening from you, a revitalizing work from you. Lord, where there's some areas where we're not prepared to follow you, there's a shallowness and we've bumped our heads. We've experienced some of that pushback. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would help us just to uproot some of those rocks and dig a little deeper and follow you into this life. I pray that we would not just be cultural Christians, but that we would be followers of Jesus Christ and the life, the fullness of the life that he came to offer us. Lord, where there are weeds, lies of the evil one, pursuits that we're giving ourselves to that distract us, choke us out from the blessings of the kingdom. Help us to root out those weeds with your help, the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, let this not just be blown away. Let us not lose this moment that you've given us, a moment of reflection where we can ask to be more like Jesus. Make it so. Make it so. Make it so. It's in his name we pray. Amen.